listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Damian Parson and Blake Murphy. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. My name is Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And got two-part show today. Going to be going through reviewing the Cardinals' win over the Carolina Panthers, talking a little bit about some of the moves that they've made during the week. And then we've got Brennan Lee Gowton from uh, Bleeding Green Nation. That would be the SB Nation Philadelphia Eagles podcast is on to preview an upcoming Battle of the Birds. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But let's start with just going over uh, the tale of two halves this week with the Arizona Cardinals and the Carolina Panthers. This is a team that has not gotten off track yet. This is a team that is where most of us thought they'd be, two and two. And yet, if you told any Cardinals fan that this is exactly how the team got to 2-2 two and two with one of the worst first-half offenses in the NFL, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Cardinals fan who would look at this team, look at their record, and would probably say that they are where they are. Which, on one hand, I think maybe it's a precursor to what could be a little bit more of a disappointment for this season. But on the other hand... There's plenty, I think, to be optimistic about because this was a very important game for the Cards. Now, coming into this game, I said the most important game for the Cardinals to win. It's usually always going to be one of the first two. We know the statistic. Teams that start 0-2 usually don't make the playoffs, and a lot of that's because you fall behind a little too far. You have to then win twice as many games to catch up and stay, I guess you could say, on schedule. Uh, kind of the sister show that we have on Revenge of the Birds with Jess Root and Seth Cox talks about how the Cardinals will be on schedule if they start 3-3. Three and three. And so far, they are probably two-thirds of the way to that goal. And then they get back their best playmaker on offense, DeAndre Hopkins, back. Uh, but this first half, let's, let's not gloss over this first half. The Cardinals went out on the road, and essentially for the first half, stunk it up. It's one of the more pathetic first halves you may have seen for a while. They start with a unfortunate three-and-out again punt on the first series of the game. The Carolina Panthers, at least, of course, themselves do end up punting. Uh, they go for it on fourth and one. at the. Uh, they go for it at their own 30-yard yard line, I should say. On fourth down, do not get it give the ball back to Arizona, and you just see a series of punts. Six plays, three plays, three plays, eight plays. Essentially, the Panthers finally are able to get the ball punted back for the most part. You see a penalty uh, that's on Carolina. They decline it, and the Cardinals seem to finally get their offense a little bit going. They pick up a first down, see some running the ball, and then James Conner up the middle, seven yards. Second and three, Kyler Murray gets tackled short. And then on third and six, you have a late pass over the middle to Hollywood Brown. There probably was an open receiver on the other side. Kyler ends up forcing it across the middle. And Frankie Louvu makes a great play on the ball. Um, you just can't be your late behind over the middle. Returns that for a touchdown. You're down. You get the ball back. The Cardinals then drive down the field. And this is probably one of those games that you felt like could be one of those game-changing plays. Arizona ends up driving down the field. You end up seeing Eno Benjamin get a decent kickoff. 
You end up having a uh, play at the Arizona 33-yard line. You end up having a short pass, at least, to Marquise Brown. Another pass to Zach Ertz at the first-yard line. And then the most disastrous play that we've seen in quite some time. Rodney Hudson snaps the ball over Kyler Murray's head. It was so high that it wouldn't have mattered if it was Josh Allen or Cam Newton. Kyler Murray recovers it for the most part, tries to basically pick up the ball and toss it. And your Arizona Cardinals, at least at this point, are down 7-0. They're back basically like well behind. Carolina takes over right at Arizona's 42-yard line. And at this point, you're just like wondering what in the world's going to happen. You have a ball that gets fumbled for the most part, at least, where Ben Neiman picks it up. And Arizona is able to take over for the most part at their own 32-yard line, preventing you know, a field goal from taking place. The Cardinals go on a long drive for the most part. You end up seeing at least a 21-yard pickup to Marquise Brown. Cardinals go at least for the most part and are able to then use Marquise Brown again on third and three. They're able to finally drive down up until we're at third and nine from the Carolina 20. They go to Marquise Brown again. It does not work. And essentially you end up having a penalty that's enforced on Xavier Woods. Uh, Cardinals decide to kick the field goal there. So you've already got essentially a pattern that follows a first quarter that really just, and even first halves in general, that has just been almost pathetic by the team where, once again, they open up for the most part, go deep on third and four to Rondale Moore. It's over his head. They punt the ball. And the opposing team, their offense essentially being worse than the Cardinals, is really what kept them in the game. Arizona then drives down the field and is basically able to get into, um, kind of backed up at their own 16-yard line, throws a pick six, are then able to kind of drive down the field for the most part and eventually ends up settling for a field goal. Uh, One of the craziest things I think that you see for the most part with this Cardinals team uh, has just been how on that second drive they seem to figure things out. They start at Carolina's 39-yard line um, by taking over at the fourth and one call. They pick up at least one first down, keep driving forward. You're at the 14-yard line. You go and go to Zach Ertz, and you're fourth and one of the Carolina 10. And this is probably where I think that the identity of the Arizona Cardinals has been kind of lost. Um, this is one of the things I think that if you had to point to anything in the first half, it's this set of plays. You're on third and four. You take a deep pass, you're on fourth and one, and it was just like last year's Carolina game. Rondale Moore gets tackled for a four-yard loss. Brian Burns is unblocked. When you're at fourth and one, this happened at least previously in the year. The Cardinals were at a play with Colt McCoy. They try a little bit of trickery on third and one, and then on fourth and one, they give the ball to Eno Benjamin. Now, when you're a Cardinals team that's paying that much money to James Conner, and you're at fourth and one, heck, even at third and one, give it to Conner twice. And he's picked up that first down like pretty much every time. It's almost, hey, if you're going to stuff James Conner on fourth and one, then you earned that. Go ahead. We've seen that the Cardinals has been a lot more of these kind of gadget plays involving Rondale Moore. And a lot of it has been in these high leverage type of situations that seem to be, at least to this point, unearned compared to the likes of James Conner running the ball, Kyler Murray running the ball. And the Cardinals then, at least for the most part, have all the momentum, able to get some points on the board, take a lead for the first time, and the play gets blown up because there's a protection lost. 
That's one of the things that's really described this team in the first half is that the Cardinals are not necessarily being beat by other teams. The Cardinals are beating themselves. They end up going down getting a field goal. You end up finally getting an interception of Baker Mayfield. You take over at Arizona's 42-yard line. You've got a chance to get points before the half. You throw three times. You throw once to James Conner with a minute left. You throw again to James Conner. Same type of play. You take a deep shot on third and two to Marquise Brown, and you punt it back to the Panthers. Panthers go and drive down, um, getting at least in not terrible field position. But Baker Mayfield's able to get a quick screen pass to Tommy Tremble. He rumbles down for 16 yards. They're able to essentially get out of bounds and take a touchdown lead going into the half. And at this point, this is where it had the feeling of that this may be a turning point for the Cardinals. Because this is a team you should beat. It's a road team that you're there. You have been the better team so far. The Panthers have been abysmal. And yet you enter the half down... 3-10, to 10, where you passed on taking a field goal to have your first lead of the season. You threw a pick six on a play, at least, that was either a poor read or a little bit late. And at the end of the, year, end of the quarter, you get an interception of Baker Mayfield. And yet you go three and out. You punt it back and allow the Panthers to drive down and score before the half. And at that point, I have to admit, like, it felt like it was going to potentially be the start of the end for a Cliff Kingsbury. If they dropped this game on the road and dropped to one and three, then then there would have been a lot of cries, a lot of calls. It would not have been good because you're playing the undefeated Eagles next week. And if this Cardinals team had gotten off to a one and four start, Suddenly clocks start ticking in ways that a lot of fans are frustrated, disappointed. Now, what can we credit the Cardinals for and Cliff Kingsbury for? The second half adjustments. Defense comes out. They're essentially able to force a Carolina three and out. There's a penalty on Christian Matthew that sets the ball back. And what do the Cardinals do? They find pay dirt. Nice long drive starting at their own 11. And what was it that they did? Now, this isn't even, I think the craziest thing is technically it started from their six. There was a holding call on Rodney Hudson. James Conner at least had kind of picked up a bunch of yards. Hudson pulls around, kind of holds a little bit. You end up seeing Arizona use a well-designed set of plays, whether it was to James Conner doing a check down, being able to get Zach Ertz down the field for the most part, being able to at least have um, Eno Benjamin take over, being able to in the pass and catch game. And then, of course, the one thing we've talked about with Kyler Murray taking these deep shots, teams have plagued the Cardinals with two high safeties in order to be able to essentially take one of Kyler Murray's strengths and turn it into a weakness. But when you've got a deep threat like Hollywood Brown, sometimes you have to take those shots anyway. The Cardinals take one of those shots that end up with a 37-yard DPI penalty. They're at the six. And this is where it felt like pulling teeth. You're at Carolina's six-yard line. You're at first and goal. You got a false start. Trey McBride has been playing. He ends up at least setting the Cardinals back five yards. You're able to pick up a couple with Eno Benjamin. James Conner isn't able to get forward. You're at the two-yard line. And then just like we saw, I think, earlier in the season, Kyler Murray, they run a mesh route, mesh concept. It's essentially to running two tight ends, cross each other over the middle, when it's a zone coverage, it's a foolhardy idea. When it's man coverage, like the Panthers were playing, you get a wide open uh, Zach Ertz able to cash in for the touchdown. It's a tied game. And then Arizona, at least to their credit, is able to turn it around. The defense gives them a 
great starting field position, forcing another three and out. Arizona then is able to figure out with their offense, drive down the field on a 15-play drive, and up settling for another field goal. Uh, a lot of what you ultimately see is incomplete deep pass to Rondale Moore. You're able to see them ride Hollywood Brown down for the most part. You have Damian Williams picks up a first down. And then you end up with a huge pickup to Williams that gets called back. This is kind of where you talk about the team shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, Kyler Murray ends up scrambling left at second and five, picks up a first down. This was, I think, the tail of the second half. You end up seeing Kyler Murray being able to put the team on his back with his arm and with his legs. Cardinals at least drive down to the 37-yard line. You end up seeing them at the 32 they end up going at least down to the 21-yard line at second and five. Trey McBride picks up a pass that was one of, I believe, his first catches as a Cardinal. And then you end up in first and goal, and you get a penalty situation that's probably one of, and this was in the case of the Cardinals, could have been a backbreaker. Justin Pugh is out for injury. Um, Luvu ends up at least drawing a penalty on by throwing WWE style James Conner over. You end up getting a flag for retaliation on Will Hernandez, and a lot of people can say that Will Hernandez was just trying to stick up for his teammate. And that's the thing, is would you rather have a defensive player toss your pro bowler to the ground, and you stand around and do nothing, or get the 15-yard flag, but you know your teammate has your back? The problem in this case was Will Hernandez bowls over, bumps into the back of an official. It's not intentional. But he gets tossed out of the game. Arizona suddenly down to their third string in the interior of the offensive line. And Rodney Hudson went to the locker room. He came back. But ultimately, we'll see how he fares for this week. Cardinals, at least, are not able to get into the end zone. They kick a field goal. You're talking now about the fourth quarter. You're only up by three points And what happens, at least. Baker Mayfield, at least, stands back there. You've got Zach Allen. And J.J. Watt or J.J. Swat put the game away. The defense saved and bailed out the offense. Ball batted in the air. Dennis Gardeck takes it into the one-yard line. And the Arizona Cardinals then go back to their basics. Kyler Murray puts the ball up at, like, the 12-yard line, knowing he's got a clean shot into the end zone. At that point, it felt like a 10-point lead was insurmountable. Um, to be able to remind you how good Murray is, though, Cardinals defense forces another three and out. Panthers have to go for it on 4th and 1 from their own 31. Despite being down 10 with 9 minutes left, this is maybe one of the areas you can look at and say, when you're talking about coming from behind, what we've seen the Cardinals do this year is we've seen a little bit of toughness that they've had to make some of these second-half comebacks because last year they were a front-runner. And if you got a lead on the Cardinals, they were struggling to make a comeback. This year we've had two of those already, one coming out of the half down to the Panthers, and one of them now um, previously against the Oakland Raiders. Cardinals end up taking over at Carolina's 31. You end up seeing on third and two a deep pass to Marquise Brown makes a beautiful contested catch. Uh, they try for a two-point conversion just to essentially make it a uh, more than a two-score game. If you kick a field goal here for the most part, even with 136 left, um, you probably at least aren't going to see the Panthers come back, but Matt Prater gets banged up. You're not really sure you have a kicker anyway. Eno Benjamin makes one of the, I guess you could say, uh, next man up types of plays where by not getting a penalty or making too bad of a kick, he squibs it over the middle. 
it doesn't give the Panthers life. They don't take over like it's say middle of the field. It's kind of those little areas of where you don't necessarily need to be good sometimes. You just have to be good enough. And that's what the Cardinals were in this game. So what does it mean? Well, I think what it means first and foremost, at least, is you take a look at the history of these quarterbacks. You take a look at the history of these head coaches. You take a look at Matt Rule getting paid a seven-year, $10 million a year deal to come out of Baylor. And he doesn't have a winning record in the NFL. You look at them struggling to find a quarterback. You look at Baker Mayfield taking number one overall, winning the Heisman Trophy, and you see some of the lack of physical skills, balls batted down, interceptions, inability to kind of create with his legs. And ultimately, this Panthers team is just a mess. They do end up getting a late touchdown to Christian McCaffrey, but at that point, the game was already over. And this just seems to kind of reinforce that maybe you can say that Kyler just beats Baker and that's how it goes. But at the end of the day, you have to say that, man, the Cardinals in that first half were not a very good team. The Panthers are a worse team, and that's what the Cardinals need, I think, at least right now. Without DeAndre Hopkins, the identity that they have, for the most part, is that they needed their defense to step up and kind of give their offense life. I think that the other takeaway you can at least make is that if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you're dead. And really, when I went on earlier this week to, I think it was the Roar podcast, I had Billy was there, who's always a fun guy to talk with each year. The prediction at least was the same. This should be a game that the Cardinals will win. They've always lost to the Panthers. Finally, that curse may be broken a bit for the first time since 2013. First time they've won in Carolina in the regular season since 2002. You got to see some of that grit, and you got to see ultimately who the Cardinals can be. A team that is competent on both sides of the ball, but one that right now seems to be incompetent when it comes to getting some of these starts. This should not have been as close of a game as it was. Cardinals shouldn't have gone into the half down by a touchdown. The ineptitude that they've shown for the most part is something that will have to get fixed because if this team is able to go 9-8 and eight and misses out on the playoffs because of one game where they just couldn't catch up or maybe they see that second wild card spot go to a team like the Rams because they just got off to too slow of a start in the game where they only gave up 20 on defense to Stafford and company and now the Rams look terrible, but that's another thing. The third thing that we can talk about at least is just how key I think this game was for their season and that they did come back because if you look at the narrative of this Cardinals team is the expectation I think at least that fans have is this is a team that should be getting 10 wins. And while that may seem like a high bar to set, this is a team that we've seen be competent enough on defense and has enough, at least with Kyler Murray, some offensive linemen have been banged up, but they at least have shown some depth. This is a team that probably should be, at least for the most part, pushing for a playoff spot. And so far, they have not played like it. Now, that being said, this game was so important because... 2-2 2-2 and two is so different than 1-3. and three. And the reason why is, I think, pretty clear to most fans. If you start 0-2, it's not too hard to catch up. You can win one game, turn that into a second game. Suddenly, you're right back where you need to be. If you open 1-3 and three and look at Arizona's schedule, there was a very, very decent chance that a 1-6 and six type of start could take place. And at that point, you know, it's like all bets may be on the table. 
So for me personally, as a fan of this team watching this year to say, I think that a lot of fans are seeing this team as right now, Cardinals are not a good team. Right now, I think, though, we can say that they're not a bad team. They've shown some of the ability and tenacity to be able to make some of these comebacks. But as to whether they can be a good team, much less a great team, right now I think you kind of look at them and say they're at what their record says. They're kind of at 2-2, two and two, an average team. Now, if that's all they have to be before DeAndre Hopkins comes back, well, then at least they'll have accomplished their goal. Uh, that's going to be it for the Panthers game. We'll come back here on the ROTV pod. Uh, talk about a couple of key moves the Cardinals have made this week and uh, be able to at least do that before getting into the Eagles preview. That'll be right next here on the ROTV pod. Stick around. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the moves the Arizona Cardinals made this week. There's two in particular. Um, first of all... Um, they reactivated a couple of players. Obviously, we're going to get Antoine Wesley back. We're going to be seeing um, Cardinals number two corner Antonio Hamilton back. That will push Marco Wilson potentially to cornerback four, depending on Trayvon Mullen's play. Mullen's been banged up. I think it's more likely that Marco ends up being cornerback three still through the year. Uh, it does give you at least all of the ability to not have to you know, necessarily rely on a Jace Whitaker. Um, I do want to at least talk about how those guys being back will help. Uh, Colt McCoy coming back, I think, will also mean that Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, if you need to run Kyler and he stays out for a play or two or if a concussion takes place, you will not necessarily have to chalk that game up to an instant loss. Um, Cardinals at least are going to get some size with Hamilton and Wesley outside. Uh, Cody Ford is not being back here yet. Um, that was one of the biggest news this uh, week, at least for the Cardinals, was with the end of that four-week period. Uh, as far as what will the impact be, well, pretty quickly, I think the biggest impact that you'll see will be some improved coverage in the secondary. Not just because of Hamilton's being back, but I think that will allow Byron Murphy to not have to be carrying some of the secondary, which means you might be able to see Buda Baker and Antonio Hamilton do a little, I should say, um, uh, Jalen Thompson able to do a little more. Thompson's been back there getting picks. He got paid this offseason. Hamilton was the guy that they essentially had hung their hopes on to pick up the slack after the unfortunate timing of Jeff Gladney's death. And I don't want to be that person who's a naysayer, but after seeing how he played last year, I think maybe even if you get cornerback three play out of Antonio Hamilton, not even cornerback two, this team, I think, will be dramatically improved because the secondary has kind of been their weak spot. Um, now, that's, of course, the biggest moves, I think, that were made uh, outside Antoine, Antoine Wesley, giving them some size. This brings up, I think, the A.G. Green conundrum. People have mentioned whether Green should be going to IR, if he'll be healthy. Either way, what you've got, for the most part, with the Cardinals team is a guy in Rondale Moore who, when they gave him the ball, telling him, hey, just break a tackle, get to that first down marker, Goes up to, I believe it was a safety covering him. Safety just picks up all five, seven of him, tosses him backwards. There is an element of football where size does, to some degree, happen to be a skill. And the issue is not necessarily the size. It's obviously how you use it. Um, if you're a guy like Akeem Butler who can be rerouted in training camp by a 5'9 undrafted corner, you're, you're not going to last long in the NFL. You have to find a way to use your size. And well, Wesley's probably a guy that I think I would love to see get a few more of those deeper passes, 
he's not quite the technician that AJ Green is. He's run a bit short of the sticks. There's been maybe a few mental errors. We'll see what happens as far as if he ends up being in a rotation with AJ Green. Or one of the more interesting places is he played DeAndre Hopkins' role last season on the outside left-hand side. Could we see Hollywood Brown shift into more of that Christian Kirk deep slot fade type of role? And Rondale Moore kind of playing the part of Rondale Moore while Antoine Wesley just plugs into that left side, puts A.J. Green at that right side. I could see that. What I also see, at least from that, is maybe even less playing time for Greg Dorch, which I think if you talk to anyone who's looking at this team, it feels like you've got maybe a little interference. The Cardinals drafted Rondale Moore in the second round with pick 49. And to this point, a lot of people would argue that we've probably seen a lot more from Greg Dorch, and especially in the downfield routes than we've seen. Now, obviously, Rondale's had some star plays that Dorch hasn't had yet. And maybe Greg Dorch, all he's going to be is kind of your typical slot receiver, not this explosive weapon that you're hoping you can kind of cover up a bit of Hopkins for for the next two games in. But I think that that's when you're taking Greg Dorch off the field, you could see it made an impact for this Cardinals team. They were not able to get as many guys open on some of the third downs. They maybe force the ball a bit to Rondale Moore, and it looked like he wasn't quite ready to carry that load just yet. Now, speaking of carrying the load, there was a huge weight that was carried that came up this year, and that would be J.J. Watt having a very emotional day, um, having AFib. I would recommend at least listening to our sister podcast. Um, we got a little bit more of the medical information there. For my take, at least, on what we saw with J.J. Watt, and a lot of it comes down to that this may be the... Hopefully it's not, but this may be kind of what we see as far as J.J. Watt for part of his career. He's a guy who is essentially pushed through pretty much every barrier he's had of his body last year to get to that Cardinals playoff game. He's pushed through multiple times with different injuries that would probably IR a lesser person. He's played through stuff. And for him to have something that's a heart condition, that's something I could see being pretty scary for a lot of people, especially when you're, you know, like, 32, 33 years old, you've got your firstborn on the way, you are probably hoping to cash in for another NFL contract should you keep playing. And I'll be very curious to see what happens because JJ, he's not under contract for the Cardinals and someone who he trusted was leaking that info. Now as to who that would be, I don't want to speculate. If it's a medical personnel, then that's really unfortunate. Whether it was within the Cardinals or outside, if it was someone within the Cardinals organization, that's not good. The, the hope, at least, that you have is you just hope that this isn't something that would burn a bridge between J.J. and the cards, that it was someone who was just a team person looking to kind of spill the beans with someone. You hope that's not the case. Uh, as for what it means for the team, well, it might mean that J.J. goes through, gets a procedure, doesn't come back till later in the season. It might mean that he goes out there next week. Right now, the best thing, I think, to do is... To simply appreciate and enjoy J.J. Watt for who he is and to recognize that when you have a scary health condition like that and go out and put your best game on the field, it reminds me a lot of another former Cardinal in Anquan Bolden. Bolden goes out there, gets his face essentially shattered during one of the games, gets a tire like surgery. It's not like quite his jaws wired shut, but just gets surgery. Where he's got like, you know, he's got screws in his face. And he goes out there and, like, catches for, like, over 100 yards, and I think at least a touchdown or two in the next week's game. 
<laughs> like that type of toughness is part of what the NFL is all about. Essentially, you sacrifice your body now. You get paid tons of money for it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of that money, at least, and what that is for one of the Cardinals' potential moves this week. Um, and then you get healthy in the offseason. And I expect that J.J. Watt's going to continue to play. And we'll try to get healthy in the offseason. And it'll be interesting. It feels like you may be at the place where maybe you could Larry Fitzgerald him and he plays as long as he wants in Arizona. So I really hope that when it came to it that there's not any bridges burned between him and the Cards organization. Let's talk about the other couple moves that were made here with Arizona. They signed Billy Price, an offensive lineman who probably at least is most known as being a center. Uh, he came out of Ohio State, spent some time with the Packers. He can also play guard. Um, never lived up to the expectations. I know he spent some time with the Dolphins. Um, Cardinals were pursuing him, brought him in for workout earlier this year. He wanted probably a bit more money. Contracts before you sign in training camp essentially are guaranteed. Uh, it's guaranteed for the whole season. It's not guaranteed for veterans. There's kind of a veteran's minimum, but if you cut a player, you then either injury settlements, you kind of just can cut maybe whether it's for performance. In whatever case, the Cardinals now at least are able to bring Price in, and the reason why is probably because they've got a bit of a conundrum on their hands. Justin Pugh has been banged up, came out of that game. The Cardinals also lost um, Will Hernandez, who should be back after the suspension from next week. He'll probably get a small little check from the uh, check to pay, I should say, a little a little envelope from the league. Uh, but he should be back. The issue is that if Rodney Hudson's been banged up and your normal backup guard would be Cody Ford, he's an IR. Max Garcia did not practice with the team, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday. So that means that your backup, your backup is hurt, and you may need to have play that backup at center so billy price is a guy that you kind of bring as your in case of emergency break glass type of signing in order to bring him in the cardinals have to let go of andy isabella the second round pick and i think i've pointed this out at least for the most part on my twitter account but there was a lot of opportunities for the cardinals to hit on a receiver in that round um ultimately at the end of the day I liked their draft picks. I liked Andy Isabella coming out. I looked at the team and said, I think the player that I I will look was looking at was, you could grab one of those A.G. Brown or D.K. Metcalf types outside and grab a guy who was kind of like a Hollywood Brown. That would have been the best case scenario. Now, I was hoping that Brown would fall to that first pick in the second round, putting him back with Kyler, I think may have changed the scope of this team. He instead goes to the Ravens and ends up being traded back to a Cardinals team. I was not able to trade up for him. You look back at the 2019 draft with how Zach Allen has played. Uh, he looks like, as people are going to say on the radio, people say, looks like he's in line for a contract extension. I think I would look at taking care of Byron Murphy first because a lot of what I'm seeing, at least, is reflecting in um, the last few weeks. You're talking about the Cardinals are, and their secondary, which has been essentially considered that Achilles heel of the team. They's held Cooper Cup. 44 yards held Dante uh, Devonte Adams two catches 17 yards held DJ Moore to I don't remember if he had a catch in this game if he did it was at the end on that last touchdown drive Byron Murphy is balling out and that means that he's probably one of those guys that you'll need to be able to sign to an extension because going into next year you don't have anyone else under contract Cardinals have a couple of defensive tackles either under contract or guys they could bring back. Some of that centering around Lecky Fotu, Rashad Lawrence. They do have defensive tackles. None of them may be that defensive end presence that Zach Allen does bring. 
but as far as when it comes to contractual, you're either going to be paying Byron Murphy, or you're going to be trying to clear cap to pay someone else, or you're going to be drafting a cornerback in the first round anyway, assuming that Rodney Hudson doesn't you know, decide to hang it up and you're stuck needing you know three or so first-round draft picks just to fill all of your positions. It's been a great sight to see because Murphy was heading off to a great start last year and then seemed to fall off a bit. We'll see if that ends up being the pattern this year or not. With the Cardinals that year, I think looking at how they wanted to structure their team, you look at Andy Isabella probably playing the role of Marquise Brown in that 2019 Cardinals offense. Look at the Cardinals' pursuit of Hakeem Butler on day two. That would clearly be that C.D. Lamb type of role. You could even look at Bakari Rambo, one of the uh, smaller slot receivers who wasn't quite that speedster, being that slot guy for Keyshawn Johnson in the late rounds. At the end of the day, Keyshawn Johnson ended up being, surprisingly, the most productive of any of those Cardinals receivers. Now, Isabella lasted on the roster longer. Um... But most Cardinals fans can look at that entire draft and say, I think that there's a what if that comes up. You know, the Cardinals were very much interested in Eric McCoy in that Dolphins second round range. They knew that they'd be able to get Josh Rosen dealt for him. There was some more teams more interested in maybe a third or a fifth round pick, at least from what we know of, that weren't as interested in Rosen. More of a kind of buying for pennies on the dollar type of move. But the Dolphins traded back, get some picks, send it to Arizona. Most people will always compare DK Metcalf, who the Cardinals didn't really have on their board because of some of that neck injury he had. Um, Cliff Kingsbury loved Isabella, the ability deep, kind of seeing that Rondale Moore role for him. And ultimately the question is, what went wrong? Did the Cardinals fail him? Did Andy fail them? Was it a bit of both? And I think that at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to the player because... Cardinals ultimately may have overspent and spent a second-round pick on Andy Isabella, where he probably was more of a fifth-round type of guy who got boosted up because of that 4-3 speed. Seems to happen every year. You can look back at guys like a Marquise Goodwin, can look back at other players. You can even have people arguing that happened with John Brown, who went in the third round, and most Cardinals fans and NFL fans in general didn't know who he was. And I think what it really did, though, was it set the Cardinals back to the point where, for multiple years, they needed to always get that number two receiver. And the hope was that that could be an Andy Isabella. And he just didn't live up to that expectation. So now, what does that mean for this upcoming Cardinals game against the Eagles? Well, the one other move the Cardinals made was signing Matt Amendola to the um, kicking squad. There's actually a, a funny story. There's actually another Matthew Amendola I knew growing up, at least. He was a buddy of mine, spelled a little differently. Uh, this is a guy who beat out Rodrigo Blankenship in a tryout. Blankenship has had more experience, but has also looked far worse as a kicker this year, making more mental errors. Um, sometimes you just bring in a guy for a tryout, and if they mentally just don't seem like they're ready for it to be able to make the kicks... Um, he's on the practice squad in reserve, and Jay Feely, at least, actually reached out and said he'd be happy to come back to the Cardinals for a, I think he said, a three-game contract. You're like, oh, all right, so like, I think someone even asked him if he was going to be a Hall of Fame player, why would he wait another five years? And first of all, like, you know, if Jay's going to get in the Hall of Fame, part of it will be because of his media presence. Um, there's also longevity that goes into him in the league, scoring a ton of points as a kicker. Um but as we've had another former player say on this show, like there's nothing like NFL money. Like if you get signed to essentially a three-game contract, get paid 120k per game, 
you know, that may double some people's salary in a year in one single game. And Jay Feely was funny. He was just like, all right, I'll only give you at the home games. I'll just, you know, kick it within 40 yards. You know, don't got the leg for the 50 yarders anymore. But yeah, just bring me back. I'll be good to go. I think it just shows a little bit of not just how much money is involved in the NFL, but also just how difficult it is to be able to find these type of players. And it shows that depth in the NFL really matters. And the Cardinals depth is being tested somewhat this week. Um, We'll see what happens as far as for who's healthy and going on Friday. Um, But right now they've had at least, you know, three of their interior offensive linemen banged up. Their kicker has been banged up. So while Arizona's getting healthier at corner, they've been getting a bit weaker overall at the other positions. We'll see how that leads because this is a game that I think at least we'll get into some of this in the preview. I don't see this as a must-win game for the Cardinals. I think if you do win it, you've got an opportunity to be able to overachieve from where you're expected. But I think what you're looking for is this is a team that's not competed in the first half of pretty much any game this year. And Philly is a team that could blow you out of the room with how good that offense is just in the first half, leaving you no room to catch up if you don't end up kind of pulling through and being able to settle down. Settle down, get some of those short, quick, easy passes in for Kyler Murray to get him in rhythm, drive down, get some points, put some of this to bed. And I think it'll be a decent start. Would it shock me, though, if you end up seeing kind of the 2022 Cardinals go three and out punt again, Jalen Hurts driving down the field? That wouldn't shock me. We'll get into more of it with our game preview here next on the ROTB pod. Uh, It'll be coming up here after this break. And we're here to preview Eagles Cardinals this week. We've got Brandon Lee Gouton. Am I pronouncing that correct? Uh, Fantastic. Always better than you don't, you know, completely botch someone's name the first time. Uh, Over here from Bleeding Green Nation here to talk about Cardinals Eagles, or I should say Eagles Cardinals. This is the uh, first time since two years ago, the last Jalen Hurts-Kyler Murray duel that took place in the desert. Another one happening here this Sunday. Brandon, before we begin... I begin, how are you doing? And if you say bad, that's 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 going to be disappointing because you guys are undefeated right now. Uh, like the Cardinals last year, uh, the, the NFL's last remaining undefeated team this season so far, entering week five. Things are going pretty good, as you might imagine. It's really um, not a common thing in Philadelphia for a team to have a lot of hype and then actually be good. Usually... It goes the other way around, and usually it's the Eagles happen to be good, like they were in 2017, when no one thinks they're going to be that good at all. Uh, so it is a nice change of pace here. Absolutely, yeah. So that's the question. The Eagles went from a playoff team last year that got pretty waxed in the first round to the last undefeated team in the NFL, and looking like, so far, maybe the best team in the NFL, number one most power rankings, number one in offense, that defense has looked nasty. What's been the biggest change that you've seen this year? Yeah, I think it's hard to say anything else than, I mean, obviously there's there's multiple factors, but the biggest one being the progression of Jalen Hurts into a guy who I thought was very limited last year. And these were breaking off wins at the end of last season, late in the year, but they're against really bad teams. And they were also running the ball like more than any other team in the league. So they weren't even really relying on their quarterback as much as they kind of had to rely on such a heavy rushing attack that worked against the bad teams. But then, as you mentioned, they got into the playoffs, they played the Bucks, and the Bucks were like, 
we're not going to let you run the ball. You're going to have to pass the ball. And they couldn't do that. Hmm. And, you know, uh, they, the Eagles get A.J. Brown. Um, that's obviously a big upgrade from Jalen Rager, who was starting for them last year. And Jalen Hurts has just made progress, you know, from the player that he was last year. He just turned 24 this summer, so he's obviously a young player. He's entering, um, you know, his second full season as a starter. And he's just made leaps and, and bounds progress as a, as a passer. He previously didn't really work the middle of the field, threw over the middle of the field less than any other quarterback. Hmm. Now he's doing that with comfort, in part because he has A.J. Brown. Um, he's throwing the ball accurately. He looks more comfortable in the offense. He's a legitimate MVP candidate early in the year. Yeah, that's one of the things I know. They're, the two of the teams that made moves for veteran wide receivers, there was at least, I believe, six wide receivers taken in the first round of this year's draft. Cardinals and Eagles are both the teams that traded for veterans and both traded for a Brown. They traded for Hollywood Brown for the Cardinals, one of Kyler Murray's <laughs> best friends, about a 5'9 speedster, and then A.J. Brown, the 6'2", 225 type of uh, beast coming out of Ole Miss and almost couldn't be more opposite as far as for those approaches. Uh, what's been some of the impact that you've seen from A.J. Brown on the team um, specifically since Arizona's seeing Hollywood Brown kind of turn into their number one while DeAndre Hopkins is out, which has been kind of a godsend just to have another playmaker on the team. He's on pace for close to 1,400 yards and maybe 10 touchdowns, which is kind of at least not surprising, I think, to some who recognize Hollywood and Kyler's connection from college. But and I don't think people saw this coming necessarily from out of that Ravens offense where he, he did get 1K yard last year. But A.J. Brown, it was almost like everyone could kind of see his impact coming to the Eagles. Yeah, um, I mean, he's been great, really dating back to training camp. But it was clear that Jalen Hurts had a connection with this guy, not only off the field because they are close off the field, and that was kind of an interesting wrinkle to this trade. But in terms of their on-field chemistry, Jalen Hurts would just, like, there's so many training camp practices where it's just like A.J. Brown. AJ Brown again. And then after that, AJ Brown once more. So they clearly, he just clearly has so much trust in his number one wide receiver there. And that's carried over to the regular season. AJ Brown had like 155 yards in the, in week one against the Lions. So he's just been such a, a dominant force. And even in the games like last week against the Jaguars, where he maybe didn't have, you know, the 100 yard receiving game, it's just like, okay, we need a first down. We're going to go to A.J. Brown. We need a big conversion, A.J. Brown. So he's just such an important piece in this offense. And again, the way that he's able to win over the middle of the field has really unlocked that part uh, of the field for Jalen Hurts, which is just such a big deal. Yeah, A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts actually do go back a little ways, I believe, as well. I know that they were friends from before the time with the Eagles, and it seems like a lot more teams are just kind of pulling these, you know, it's almost like these receivers playing together like basketball. It's like it's the it's the new NBA, and it really is left to a big impact, at least, on the teams. Now, what is interesting is the Eagles have been a team that's trended up, a team that's been kind of trending maybe south of expectations has been the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Hollywood Browns <laughs> at least made an impact, but... Arizona started the year getting completely destroyed by the Chiefs, and while they may be getting healthier at the receiver spot and the corner spot, they've got like four of their offensive linemen have been kind of in and out of the lineup. Guys like Rodney Hudson and Justin Pugh have been banged up. Um, even their backup guard, Max Garcia, who I believe was a Pro Bowl alternate last year, which baffled a lot of Cardinals fans, but I think that's because they saw him play against Aaron Donald twice. Uh, where's the spot that the Cardinals may attack on offense if there is a place for this defense? And how might the Eagles try to attack this Cardinals offensive line? Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, it's tough with the Eagles offense right now in terms of like what you want to do to 
to really get after them because they have a lot of different things they can throw at you. Um, you want to take AJ Brown away? Okay, you can try to do that. Devontae Smith is, is a very capable player and really was deserving of NFC Offensive Player of the Week a couple of weeks ago. They didn't give it to him only because Brandon Graham also won NFC Defensive Player of the Week, and I don't think they really give, give the award to, to, to players from two players on the same team, but, I mean, he was awesome. Uh, it's really like they kind of have two number one wide receiver talents there. Um, Dallas Goddard is obviously a threat at tight end. Uh, Zach Ertz is old, or, or the old understudy, I should say, to Zach Ertz in Philly. Um, he's really emerged as a guy who's probably going to have like a thousand yard kind of receiving as a tight end, or at least uh, up there. The numbers will be up there. Um, so there's a lot of different things. Their offensive line is one of the best in football. It's a little banged up. So I will say, you know, for a Cardinals pass rush that has not been able to get going yet, and I know it's only four sacks through four games, which is. Uh, kind of a problem, it seems like, and especially because I, I know that the Cardinals have such like a high blitz rate too. It's crazy that like you're sending all this pressure and no one's getting home. Yeah, they're getting a lot of blitzes that are there. They haven't gotten very much production from their edge rudger pos- position. They've gotten more than the Raiders have gotten out of Chandler Jones, which is sure. kind of funny. Um, but most of it has actually been the explosiveness of Zach Allen, their third round pick mm-hmm. out of Boston College about four years ago. He's they kind of compared him to a JJ Watt, and I said it's more of like the JJ Swat. He's not going to be that. <laughs> same type of um, player that Watt is. Obviously, Watt is kind of coming off of one of the most crazy weeks of his life, having been shocked back into AFib, mm. <laughs> where, uh, and he ended up having his best game maybe of the season. So they've been essentially keeping guys in the pocket. Allen's kind of been their main disruptor from the interior, but as far as it comes to on the edge, like you're right, there's a huge difference, I think, between Philly's edge presence and the Cardinals. And part of that has to do with, um, you mentioned a guy taking over for Zach Ertz. This is kind of his first time to go back against his former team. Former Cardinal Hassan Reddick, their big mm. offseason splash signing. He's played exceptionally well. I believe he was the defensive player of the week, I believe, this week which just goes to show Cardinals fans at least a lot of there's not a lot of love for Steve Keim in the Valley. There's, I know, at least quite a bit of love for Howie Roseman. Obviously, GMs and stuff are never going to be perfect, but it definitely is one of those things, at least for Cardinals fans, to look at the Eagles and just say, yeah, that rookie quarterback contract, having to pay Kyler Murray, it probably was one of the reasons, um, as well as, I believe, uh, Reddick being from Temple, local Philly area. Yep. Um, the Those roots go pretty deep, and Cardinals try to get him this offseason. Philly instead seems to be reaping the benefits. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just funny, too, just to have a guy um, who is capable of being such a, a good pass rusher and have him you know, on the team, but not having him do that for a couple of seasons and kind of like wasting such a valuable skill set. And obviously, you know, the Cardinals moved him eventually, and it, it kind of he had his best year there before leaving um, for Carolina. But you know, Reddick was a slow start to the year for him. Didn't really do too much in his first two games. There was kind of some complaints about him dropping back into coverage too often. And sure enough, he gave up a touchdown in the Vikings game. Um, I don't really fault him so much for that as much as the defensive coordinator because I just don't think that's really what you want him doing ideally. But these past two games, he's been allowed to attack the quarterback more. And it's resulted uh, in some very big plays for the Eagles defense. Um, three forced fumbles. That is something he's... He's very good at just the way he's able to win so quickly and kind of get on the quarterback before the quarterback has a chance to really know it, just hit him. Uh, and also just seems to have a real knack for like attacking the ball and knocking it out. And that's, and that's valuable, you know, like getting the hitting, putting a big hit on the quarterback is great and all, and, you know, throwing them to the ground, but to be able to knock the ball out and, you know, get that turnover right there. That's, that's huge. 
For sure, yes. Um, one of the things that's also been, I think, huge at least is we can talk about Jalen Hurts. Now, I know there's been a lot as far as looking at his scheme, the offense. He's been running the ball a lot. Like This is the thing. In Arizona, we're not unused to having a mobile quarterback, which is weird since we probably went maybe 100-plus years <laughs> without having a mobile quarterback in Arizona. You guys obviously were able to see not just the Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick experience. Mm-hmm. Um, even with Carson Wentz, the uh, Nick Foles was surprisingly, I think, mobile at least mm-hmm. he was a former U of A player um, that we had no idea he'd go on to be a Super Bowl champion but he was <laughs> over down in you know the the lovely area of Tucson Arizona which is almost Mexico from where I am uh, Hertz on the other hand with his offense he's been rushing the ball so much at least for that part of with Arizona we've seen Kyler Murray He's been a guy who protects himself a bit more. Like, he doesn't try to take those big hits. He'll, he'll be able to not just slide or go down. Um, but also, Jalen Hurts has been running a lot as far as for with contact, especially on the goal line. Mm. He already has, I believe, four rushing touchdowns this year. And he's essentially been putting up probably somewhere close to almost maybe 300 or so yards a game. And he's really been rushing, like, a lot as far as – is there any kind of concern as far as with – um, as far as his health that goes on for the durability, is this just kind of a place where, you know, you look at Kyler, guys can't touch his speed. Lamar, similar. He's also, you know, put on some muscle. Hertz has been doing this since he was back at Alabama, and it's really been his passing game that stepped up, especially, I think, on notice was from that game that he had this year against Washington, you know, like mm. leading the league in completion percentage, 340 yards, three touchdowns. Like, he just went hard on that division rival and that was almost kind of like that MVP type of moment is there any concern that that's one of those things of Cardinals fans we got the same thing last year Kyler gets hurt against the Packers the offense loses DeAndre Hopkins kind of wasn't the same after that what are some of the thoughts at least on Hurts and taking some of that punishment yeah so after week one I wasn't like as jazzed up about some other Eagles fans were about uh the win because of not like it was a weird thing to kind of parse through because I thought Jalen Hurts did play a major factor in them winning that. Like he was a big reason they won that game, but he ran 18 times. And I was like, I just don't, that's not really the recipe for success on a weekly basis. So especially with him taking as many hits as he did in that game. Um, and some of them were illegal, but you know, you're going to expose yourself to illegal hits when you're running a lot. It's going to happen. Not that that, you know, makes it okay, but it's just the nature of the game. And uh, so, yes, he definitely needs to, uh, cut that down at times. At the same time, I will say I think he's u- more uniquely qualified to run than maybe some other quarterbacks. He's always been known for being like a total gym rat and a freak in the weight room. Um, there's like there's viral clips of him like deadlifting or whatever, like a billion pounds. Uh, he's he's he's, a, he's kind of a unusual cat in that regard in terms of quarterbacks. You know, those, those aren't quarterbacks aren't always like the weight weight room like freaks. But uh, so he's a little unique in that regard. So that is one thing that kind of gives you some ease. But you know, when you see him take a big shot like he did. Uh, when he ran into the end zone um, from uh, the Jaguars rookie linebacker, Devin Lloyd, um, you're like, awesome, touchdown. But at the same time, like, oh, that's a big hit. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, so, yeah, definitely interesting to see how that holds up. I will say, like, had he not shown the progress he has as a passer, I'd be more concerned because we saw it last year where he, he got banged up late in the season. 
And when the mobility was there, he just he couldn't do much at all, like because he just wasn't there as a passer. So I do have a little bit more faith in his passing game. But on the whole, what makes him such a special player, even if he's not taking off running, but just being able to run and you know and operate and move around the pocket and escape pressure and everything, like it's a big deal if he can't use his mobility. So yeah, he he kind of needs to take less hits here as the season goes along. Yeah, I I think that's one of the things at least that has been impressive about the. Eagles offense has been like you said we've seen at least you know guys like um, Miles Sanders be able to actually seemingly kind of come into his own last week against the Jaguars Kenneth Gainwell is at least seems to be one of those guys that you always have as a fantasy handcuff every year because Eagles do like to be able to run the ball Hurts at least has just been so far playing at a much higher level as far as being able to protect the ball also um, how did you feel about last week as far as it seems like a lot of people watched it was probably his worst game of the season against Jacksonville he still had you know 204 yards obviously there was the pick six something that the Cardinals you know had one of those with Kyler Murray are able to still beat the Panthers last week uh what was it that was different about that game or was it simply just the weather was rough and awful and you know you look at Trevor Lawrence fumbling four times in the rain just kind of you know chalk it up to a bit of a misnomer or is there an area that Arizona's defense could look to exploit since you look at this matchup of Arizona and the one thing that's been underrated is they've gotten good defensive tackle pressure. They've actually had Byron Murphy step up as a star player. They limited Devonte Adams to two catches, limited Cooper cup to four catches. He's really seeming to kind of take a step into um, that kind of maybe star cornerback type of role where you can just put him on one side of the field or put him on a player. Those linebackers, though, like it's been totally different from where how Philly has at least taken a step up in their linebacker play and how Arizona has really not gotten Isaiah Simmons onto the field and has had, you know, hit or miss with Zaven Collins. You guys have another rookie linebacker who's been flying around there. When it comes to this battle in the trenches, I got to think that the Eagles have a little bit of the edge. So what should Arizona try to do to stop Jalen Hurts in this attack? Or are we going to be talking about like a 21-0 type of first quarter? Yeah, I think, you know, there was somewhat of an anomaly there with the weather, the rain, and not even just the rain, but the wind. It was pretty windy, too. Um, the Eagles missed an extra point where basically, like, I don't know if anyone would have made that because the wind just totally, like, like swept the ball away as, as the kick was being made. Um, so... Definitely think that was a factor. The pick six was like just such an uncharacteristically bad throw from Jalen Hurts. Like it is like he he honestly and by PFF's measuring too, he didn't have a turnover worthy play this season. He did throw a pick in week two, but that went off a player's hands. Uh, should have been caught. Uh, so it was just so weird to see that from him. Uh, so I'm not really concerned about that. Seems like more of the exception than the rule with him. Uh, and then, you know, the pa- again, the passing game as a whole, it just seemed like to be not really the day for that, especially with them being able to have the success that they did against the ground. Um, if, but if, I, if I'm the Cardinals, you know, uh, it's possible that the Eagles might be starting Jack Driscoll at left tackle, who had to fill in last week when Jordan Mailata got hurt. Jordan Mailata has not practiced yet this week. By all uh, indications, I think NFL Network's own Mike Garofolo had mentioned that um, a lot of probably not going to go this week. The Eagles have Andre Dillard. Uh, they activated his practice window. So in theory, he might be able to play left tackle if Milata can't go. But Nick Sirianni kind of made it sound like he might not be ready too. So it might be Jack Driscoll who has been a decent player when he's had to fill in, but he has much more experience at both right guard and right tackle than he really does at left tackle. So, And I thought he did okay 
especially given the circumstances last week coming into the game and going up against some decent players and Josh Allen um, and Trayvon Walker. But uh, still, that's a, if the Cardinals pass rush is going to get going, maybe uh, they, they could get it going by really kind of going after him and trying to put a lot on his plate and putting pressure on him. I should also mention really quickly that uh, Isaac Samalo, the Eagles starting right guard, I think he's going to play, but he's been limited in practice this week and he had to leave last week's game early um so if he does if he's out uh, it's another player uh from one of the starters who's out as well so so maybe you know if this offensive line is looking weaker than it usually does the cardinals can take advantage yeah i think that's one of the areas where we'll see how that pass rush and the blitzing goes because we have seen arizona for whatever reason not be able to get sacks but they've been especially disruptive um with pressures unfortunately they've in their first three games, played Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and were pretty much set to lose against um, the Raiders until, you know, Cliff started calling the Kyler run around and do cool stuff play. And then that's kind of where they were able to crawl their way back to two and two, which, you know, without DeAndre Hopkins, not too bad of a place to be for the most part. Let's talk about Zach Ertz a little bit. This is a guy that has really had Cardinals fans been endeared to him. He's been one of the most targeted tight ends over the course of the starting of the season. Obviously, longtime Philly guy. He won an actual uh, championship with the Eagles that year. Um, they've been able to move on to Dallas Goddard. How is it going to be as far as for seeing, you know, a former player who I would argue is probably a Philly Ring of Honor type of guy for the most part? And how do you think? he may fit up into this matchup because it seems to me that there's some good cornerbacks that the Eagles have. Now I know that we'll see about, you know, Avante Maddox, at least with that. Um, I know that James mm-hmm. Bradbury got some rest. Uh, Darius Slay obviously seems to be back, which is good. I know that he, I think left the Jaguars game at one point. Um, it was a player. The Cardinals fans had really been hoping that they would uh, sign. Uh, he goes to the Eagles instead and the Cardinals are going to get back Antonio Hamilton, their cornerback too, who had a freak accident of burning himself while trying to like do some cooking oil, went to the <laughs> hospital. So it's like one of those areas Jeez. where like, Hey, we're down several corners heading into the chiefs game. What could go wrong? And then same day, um, Hamilton burns himself and Rondale Moore tweaks a hammy and misses the first yeah. three games of the season. So you're like us, oh, this, this is a, this is a great start to the season that you have. So what do you think as far as, uh, how these receivers are going to be able to match up? Because I feel like that the Cardinals, like you said, are going to have to take advantage because I don't know if they're going to be able to contain both of those receivers. They were able to do a good stop of Cooper cup and the Rams still got the ball to Jake Skaronic on some just matchup issues. And I feel like you look at Devontae Smith and AJ Brown. I think you can stop one of those threats. I don't know if the Cardinals can stop both. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, on the Zach Ertz point, I mean, the Eagles have been doing a pretty decent job against tight ends this year. Now, I say that Zach Ertz is obviously a tremendous player. I think he's kind of, he doesn't have the flashiest skill set, but he's such a good chain mover. And he really can keep, you know, the offense keep, you know, just keep driving down the field. By, he knows how to work leverage, knows how to get open, um, can use his size and physicality when he needs to, can obviously be a threat in the red zone. So I, I certainly... Um, it will be interesting to see him on the other sideline. The Eagles have kind of had this reunion tour recently with Carson Wentz and seeing him with the Commanders and then Doug Peterson last week in Philly with the Jags. So it's kind of funny how this is all uh, stacked up against each other. But I expect Ertz, you know, to be certainly a player the Eagles are, are planning for. Um, I think they do have the personnel to be able to uh, put up a good fight against him, not necessarily shut him down. Uh, he probably will get his to some extent because he's a good player uh, when it comes to the Cardinals defending what the Eagles have. Yeah. Again, I, I'm not trying to sound like overconfident here, but it's just the players are very talented. Right. And 
uh, A.J. Brown and let's say A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, somehow you keep them in check. Quez Watkins is a guy who's not a volume mm-hmm. receiver, but he's like a legitimate deep threat. He's one of the fastest players in the league. So that's another factor you have to account for. And I, with the Cardinals being aggressive um, and not a team that necessarily just sits back, you know, there is the threat that he could just you know, beat him over the top and have a big play. Sure. So that's something to keep an eye on. Another thing, I think like if we're talking about under the radar players to watch, I feel like there is going to be a, a game this season at some point where Zach Pascal is going to be like a much bigger mm-hmm. factor than fantasy football players probably especially will like but you know i look at this cardinal secondary and all the starters like they're like 5 11 and shorter no one's they're, they're not they're exactly the biggest corners and and um safeties in the secondary and zach pascal measures in like 62 63 um and i wonder not that he's going to be like going off for 100 yards but i think he could be a factor as he has been occasionally in like a, a critical third down situation mm-hmm. or in the red zone I'm, I'm interested to see you know if all the attention is going to be elsewhere he's a guy who's capable of winning a one-on-one matchup yeah i was gonna say if you think arizona's corners are short just wait till you look at their wide receiver room uh, <laughs> when antoine wesley who's like six four well, played for cliff at texas tech went out aj green has been hurt and he looks like he's gone through a couple cycles of the wash they've still been taking deep shots to him when he's gotten single coverage which has been kind of disastrous for some of their opening mm-hmm. drives. Uh, but yeah, Arizona, a lot of 5'9", five, 5'7 five, receivers. Greg Dortch is probably like the unsung hero for them so far. He's getting great separation, been playing well on the slot. Didn't play much last week. They brought back Rondale Moore, did a bunch of horizontal screen action to him, and it just felt like that the Cardinals, for the most part, kind of figured it out in the second half, but that's been kind of the story. This is an Eagles team that seems to go up early or be able to hit you really hard. Last week was, I think, the first week that the Eagles didn't have a lead in the first quarter, if I remember correctly, and it was mostly due to that pick six, and then they were able to climb back in the game from those fumbles. With Arizona coming into all this, do you think that there's any chance that Arizona will be able to get down like how they have in the past and be able to flip the script in the second half like they've done in the Raiders game and in uh, the Panthers game? Or is this Eagles team just going to be too talented where Arizona's going to have to figure out these opening quarters and how slow they're starting in a hurry? Because otherwise it's just going to be, you know, I can totally see a scenario where the Eagles just run them out of the building in that second half and Arizona's scrambling to get back, but they're just not able to kind of make up that deficit. The Eagles have like crushed the second quarter for whatever reason. Like the second quarter is the Eagles quarter specifically too, like right before the end of the first half where um, they like to defer as most teams do if you know, they get their choice. So that way, you know, they like to double dip there. Well, they'll, they'll get some points and most mostly been touchdowns um, at the end of the first half. And then they get the ball again and they go down and get, they, they get more points. So that's kind of like a big, um, you know, like at the guts of the game where like they're kind of just taking a big advantage, like they're going up, they're taking this big momentum shift in that part of the game. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting matchup from the standpoint if the Eagles start strong, but then the Cardinals are able to kind of come back, you know, is it too late or, or what happens there? And does that trend continue? I will say there's kind of been some consternation in Philly with, you know, the Eagles have to do better in these second quarters. I mean, they really haven't had to score in them. So I think that's part of a factor here. Like if they've never been desperate to score, I think they've kind of played things reasonably conservative. Maybe it could be a little bit more aggressive at times uh, in the second half of these games. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the Eagles are, I mean, they've, they've been starting strong for the most part so far, um, or at least in that second quarter, they've, they've had some really impressive performances. So I do expect them, um, you know, to, to come out pretty strong uh, from the gate in this one. It does kind of be interesting to see how they finish. 
Yeah, a lot of Cardinals fans are looking to see too. This is a Cardinals team that has not won a home game in almost a calendar year. Mm. Uh, they, however, have been incredibly dominant on the road. It's been one of those areas that's been flipped from normal teams. Not really sure why. Uh, Cardinals have also kind of had a stat that's popped up this last week where when Kyler Murray has rushed the ball 10 times or more, they've actually been like 10-1 and one as far as their record goes. And it's really fascinating to kind of see this dichotomy of these two transfer quarterbacks go to Oklahoma, become far better passers. They were already you know, very gifted at rushing the football. And then kind of seeing that dual threat nature go into the NFL, it was a lot of fireworks the last time around. Arizona kind of pulled away at least in 2020. Um, who are the X factors that you would have at least for uh, one for the Cardinals and then one for the Eagles if you're going to be making and then maybe kind of your overall sense of who you think wins this game? Yeah, I think, you know, Kyler Murray's running ability specifically is an X factor here because we have not yet seen the Eagles go up against a mobile quarterback this season. Uh, they played Jared Goff in week one, Kirk Cousins week two, Carson Wentz week three, and then it was Trevor Lawrence in the rain last week. So none of those guys are obviously at the same level when it comes to running the football that Kyler Murray is. So I'm interested to see how that goes for sure. And I think that could be an interesting dynamic. I think, you know, I look at, you know, the Eagles are obviously heavily favored in this matchup and on the road. What could go wrong for them? How could they lose? I think Kyler just kind of going off and him being like unguardable or causing a lot of problems for the Eagles on the ground is definitely a path to how the Cardinals could pull off the upset uh, for the Eagles, you know, uh, not to go talk here with both quarterbacks, but I mean, this is a big, like, get back on the passing game kind of game after you were going out against the Jags and able to run the football. Okay, that's great. You're able to do that in the rain. But, you know, if this team is really going places, it's going to have to be through the passing game. And, you know, I just look at the Cardinals, um, you know, how they hit the rank in various passing defense stats. I mean, that's kind of their vulnerability, it seems like. So I think yeah. that's a, it's a big opportunity for Jalen Hurts to kind of continue to strengthen his MVP case and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and, maybe even Zach Pascal, like I mentioned, to kind of really, you know, assert their will early on. For sure. I've got the uh, kind of two sets almost of X factors. They're all the defensive tackles uh, for both teams, I think, are the X factors, I would say, for whoever's going to have the best. Uh, you got the oldie goldies, the Fletcher Cox and the J.J. Watt, these guys who have been dominant players at least, and maybe a little bit more of an edge rusher that's now kind of getting more on the interior. And then there's the new crew where you've got Zach Allen's finally living up to where the Cardinals had him very highly ranked in 2019. He had neck injuries rookie year. Um, and the Jordan Davis, obviously, the guy who's more... Mm. Um, um, built like a bear or like an Avenger <laughs> than a football player is on the other side. So, you know, whichever team is able to, I guess, like you said, if it turns into a pass fest for the most part, I think that favors the Eagles. I've got them winning this game. And unless Arizona can radically right the ship and turn things around and actually like have a decent first half with that, doesn't do that i could very easily see them as a vibes team kind of going down like some you know 21 zip by the end of the second quarter crawling back in uh, maybe almost a reversal of the last time these two teams played uh, do you have the eagles winning this game as well brandon <laughs> shocker yes the eagles writer does have the eagles winning um i will say uh although i i'm predicting that this is like a game for the eagles where trap game conditions are ripe in the sense mm. that they've not won in Arizona, 0-5 in their last five games there, including the 2008 NFC Championship, Championship game. Championship game. Yep, since 2001. It's not a place they just like come into and win so easily, so there's that. There's the fact that um, this they're coming off this big win over the Jags, so that kind of had some emotion with Doug Peterson and all of that. And it's, you know, if you want a trap game, look-ahead game, 
Eagles have a huge matchup next week against the Cowboys, who could yeah. easily be five and one coming into that one or four and one. Um, and then, you know, the Eagles, you know, potentially being five and zero here. Uh, so that's going to be a huge matchup in the NFC. So if they get caught, you know, looking ahead too much then and lose their focus here, that's something uh, I certainly think this has the makings of a trap game. Ultimately, I, I like the Eagles vibes better than the Cardinals vibes. That's part of it all. And honestly, it's, it's hard to kind of poke holes in the Eagles. I'm not saying they're a perfect team, but they've had so many things oh, yeah. going right and not in some fluky ways too. Like when you're getting good, sustainable quarterback play, like that's something worth believing in. I think the coaching has been good. The defense is outside of week one, which is their worst performance. And oh, by the way, the Lions lead the league in scoring, so it's not just like they got you know, beat up yep. on by a bad offense. Like it's a good offense. Uh, the Eagles' defense has been good and opportunistic, and the pass rush is kind of coming on here. So I just there's a lot of things that point uh, the Eagles trending in the right direction. I have to take them, and I'm going to take them to cover. I think they're like five and a half point favorites. Yeah, five point favorites. I, I've told people I'm not taking at least for the cover for the most part. I do think that Arizona is going to recognize this is an important game. Um, I don't think that they're going to be able to win this game. Now that said, uh, it would be the most Cardinals thing in the world to go out, be able to pull a shocker victory that reverses all of the expectations where they go up big in the first half and then the Eagles come back huge in the second <laughs> half. They still win. And then they go to Seattle where they've dominated on the road in Seattle for like a decade, no matter who was at quarterback, no matter who was playing, and then just blow that game to Geno Smith. Like, right. I could definitely see that. That's the NFL, the baby. Because that's the NFL for it, for that. Uh, Brandon, why don't you go ahead and plug yourself where uh, listeners are able to follow you as well as your content. I know there's going to be some Eagles fans who are there. I know I've got people I know who are kind of Cardinals slash Eagles fans. They moved from Philly to Arizona, kind of just have being able to support some of the teams. It's always about the birds, I guess, as they like to say, right? There we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, at Brandon Gowton on Twitter, Instagram, BleedingYourNation.com, and check out the Bleeding Your Nation podcast feed. Um, we also talk about the Arizona Cardinals on the SB Nation NFL show, which I know you've been on uh, Monday Football, Monday before Blake. Um, so yeah, we'll be we'll actually be doing our Week Five preview on Friday morning when we're, we'll be recording that. So uh, you want to check out the SB Nation NFL show as well. That's great. Thanks again for joining, Brandon. Absolutely. All right, take care, guys, and go Cards. Oh, yeah.